Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Story time. A little over a year ago, my ex, 
and I traveled to Yellowstone and spent most of the nights of our trip backcountry camping. On one of our last nights we made it out to our reserved campsite around dusk, and had just enough light to set up our tent and spot another tent at another campsite across a small pond from us, maybe 150 yards away or so. As we're cooking dinner we hear a man, presumably at the other campsite across the way abruptly yell, Hey bear! To which we both felt very startled, quickly finished with our dinner, hung our food in a tree, and made it into our tent. Neither of us saw or heard any signs of a bear, and figured the other camper may have been practicing good bear safety, by letting potential nearby bears know he was there. Later in the evening after finishing some sexy time, I sit up in the tent, and look over across the pond to see what looks like headlamp or flashlight coming from the man's tent across the pond, and I notice that he seems to be pointed in our general direction, and flashing it at odd intervals. I watch this for a while, then more amused than creeped out at this point decide it would be fun to join in. So I grab my headlamp and blink my light back at the man when he finishes flashing his, only to see him seem to respond by flashing his back. This went on for several minutes, and later a light appeared at the top of a small nearby mountain that appeared to be doing the same thing back to us. I don't know Morse code, or am familiar with any kind of camping or hiking etiquette around signaling others with your headlamp or flashlight but I'll always wonder what they might have been saying to me and me to them that night. I was hiking in the Carpathian Mountains and got a chance to talk with the local mountain rangers. A lone hiker had passed the ranger's cabin wearing sneakers as footwear and without gloves. It being winter, the rangers had told the guy that he's not properly equipped and should probably turn back but without effect. Once it had been dark for a few hours, and there was no sign of the hiker returning, they headed out for rescue. The guy was luckily found alive. He was lying bleeding in a pit in the snow with bloodstains all over himself and the surroundings. It turned out he had read that cutting your hands will keep you warm and prevent your fingers getting frostbitten. Maybe this guy got his mountain survival tips from YouTube gurus. Not my own personal story, but it's my brother's. He interned for the forestry department one summer after college. He was set up in a cabin in a remote part of some state park and alone all summer. After his internship ended he came home, and we all had a nice family dinner to welcome him back. We all were excited to hear about living in the sold and what it was like. He told us about the serenity of nature, and how loud yet quiet it was at the same time. Someone, not sure who, asked what the creepiest thing was. He looked at his all with this look of pure confusion and fear, almost like if you saw Bigfoot. He went on to tell us about this strange creature that loved under his front porch. He kept saying it was the strangest thing ever. It was like a cat that barked like a dog, and it would bars at him every night. He swore up and down that it was something out of an old Native American myth, and had to be supernatural because of course cats can't bark. We were all very curious and asked him to describe it. He said it was red, 
the size of a small dog, and had this big fuzzy tail. My other brother held up his phone and asked him if this was the strange creature he saw. He explained yes with the most amount of pure shock I've ever seen. It was a fox, my 24-year-old brother who wanted to work as a forest ranger had, apparently, never seen a fox before. Needless to say he didn't get a job offer. So I thought you all might be interested to hear a few of the stories my friend told me about his work as a state beach lifeguard. The state we live in is in the northern part of the US, and is one of the more popular beaches in our area. Aside for stupid, drunk and stoned people, there are also the mentally unstable. And then there's a few stories that he says, never really sat right with him. These few occurrences haven't ever really been solved. This happened when my friend was slightly younger, and pretty new as a lifeguard, maybe only his second or third year. By this time however, he was already pretty much ahead of everyone else in terms of responsibility and compassion. Every so often, they would get a call after the beach closed for the night that a kid would be spotted swimming in the deep end. Well, less swimming and more bobbing up and down, kind of treading water from side to side. The deep end is probably six or so feet deep, and is dangerous even for adults to go into since there's small occasional sinkholes that can make it much deeper. There's a kiddie section for children that's basically in the shallows, where children are supposed to be. And when the beach closes, no one is supposed to go into the water, though you can continue walking on the beach. Not knowing this, he gets a call in to go find this kid that's just been spotted, floating around in the deep end. He goes out to the beach and scans the area and spots the kid off in one of the corners of the pool, since they hadn't taken up the lines yet. He calls to the kid to come in, but the kid just kind of bobs around some more, and gives no indication he's coming out. So my friend is left with no option, but to go in after the kid which he does. My friend is an excellent swimmer, and reaches the deep end pretty quickly only to find the kid had disappeared. Before he goes underwater to search, the kid surfaces past the line, about 10 to 15 feet away, still bobbing, and not saying a word. Friend calls out to him to swim his way, but the kid simply sinks back under without uttering a sound. Maybe there was something in the way he did it, but it apparently creeped out my friend. However, still being a good person at heart, he also submerges and swims out past the line to follow the kid. This happens twice more. The kid about 10 or 15 feet away from my friend, silent and bobbing, before sinking back down and resurfacing further away. My friend said he stopped when he realized the sun was down, and he could no longer see the beach. He said he turned around and swam straight for shore after the kid sunk down a third time. He called out for a water patrol basically him, and another lifeguard in a canoe, but finding nothing, told the park ranger to keep an eye out for the kid. Telling me this story, he said the kid was about 8 or so, and definitely not capable of swimming out from the beach for such a long distance, and not get tired. He said there was definitely something eerie, and not right about the kid, completely silent, and just sinking down out of sight. 
As I mentioned before, a lot of stupid, drunk, high, and mentally unstable also frequent the beach. Since the beach is also surrounded by a rather dense and expansive state park, this compounds the danger and effort required to save people if they go missing. This summer, just as they were about to close, they get a report of an old woman who couldn't find her grandson. She seems slightly confused and dazed, and the guards had to keep questioning her to get answers. They eventually get out from her that he's about three, and the last time she saw him was in the water. He was playing at the edge of the water, and he just disappeared. So naturally, as according to protocol, they clear the water and go out in a line, calling for the kid. They get all the way to the deep end and find nothing, so they move off further down the beach, and still find nothing. They radio out to the park rangers and told booth guard to keep an eye out for the kid. They look in the water for about another half hour before they get a report of a child matching the missing kid's description near the mouth of the park trail. They take the old lady and go find the kid he's got a long scratch down one arm, and he's wearing the bright blue swim trunks the lady said he had been wearing. However, his water shoes are gone, and he had strands of lakeweed stuck to his body. Bear in mind, this is about two or three miles from where he had been last spotted, and without having been abducted and brought there, it would have been impossible for him to travel that distance in that amount of time. Since he's very little, it's hard to get a clear answer out of him. But the little boy was very adamant that a lady with a big, big smile lead him out here. She promised him chocolate and wore some kind of a long dress. She hadn't been anyone he knew, and when he imitated her smile for them, he made a kind of hiss that little kids make when they're talking about monsters. At this point, he wasn't sure if the kid's imagination was just getting away from him, but the child also imitated the way the woman walked, which was backwards. Last one, since I feel like this must be getting pretty long. I've mentioned my friend is an excellent swimmer this last year, he's broken all his swimming records, and can go a mile without needing a rest which I find utterly ridiculous. He's always the one chosen to go for longer rescues, such as if someone has swum past the lines, or fallen from a boat or something. He's also the one who pulls the lines, which are anchored to the floor of the lake with heavy boys. Sometimes, he says, he'll occasionally experiencing something, holding him down underwater. A few weeks ago, as he was gathering the lines, he very clearly felt someone settling onto his shoulders, as if sitting there. He dropped the lines and fought to throw the person off, thinking it was one of the other guards around. He managed to throw the person off, but upon resurfacing, he could find no one else in the water with him. Leaving the lines there, he nevertheless went back to shore gathered the rest of his guards, and gave them a sound chewing out about not roughhousing in the water, since it was a way people could get hurt. All the other guards denied being near the water, and after hearing the story, wouldn't approach the water for the rest of the night. My friend said he'd experienced the sensation before, but never so powerfully. Such as swimming a few times in the morning to get limbered up, he would feel something grab his ankle or wrist. He said it wasn't lake detritus or lakeweed, since he knew the feeling of both. 
It was as if someone had grabbed him and wouldn't let go. But each time the sensation vanished almost as quickly as it had appeared. He has a few more stories, and then stories from the park ranger, who has experienced even crazier shit, according to his stories. Part 2. I just helped the friend I'm talking about move. As I helped him pack, I asked him more about, the weirdest beach experiences, he's ever had. A lot of them involve just high people being high, or the mentally unstable as I've mentioned, but a few of them were pretty unexplainable. The first was this. This happened a few years ago, 2011, before I had even started dating my husband. My friends said one of the worst things they would get called to were fights and disturbances the lifeguards would get called even to the ones that weren't on the beach or in the water. These would technically have been the jobs of the park rangers, but the lifeguards would often respond and then have to call the park rangers. In this case, my friend responded to a harassment call. Some weird guy was apparently running out of the woods surrounding the parking lot and assaulting the patrons. So my friend got another guy and went up to the eastmost parking lot. Word apparently hadn't quite yet gotten around that people were being attacked here, because a few cars were still scattered about. They pulled into the parking lot, and, nothing. No one jumped out to run at them, the cars were abandoned just the hot sun and the smell of the lake a few hundred feet behind them. My friend said it was one of the eeriest sensations he ever remembered feeling. Even his friend not nearly as perceptive as he was felt as though they were being watched by something menacing. My friend radioed in, said there was no evidence of anyone being there, and turned the gator's engine over. And then, just as they were about to leave, something ran out of the woods. It definitely looked like a man. My friend said his first impression was that it was a person, running on their tiptoes, with their arms sickled out like wings. But the sound the person made wasn't anything either of them ever heard come out of a human being it was like a sort of white noise screaming. And there was something definitely wrong with his face at first glance, it looked lifeless and impassive almost like a mask that had been stretched into creases and wrinkles to form an expression. But if you looked closer, and my friend said this had been burned into his memory, it was as if he had another face underneath the human one, which moved and shifted separately from the one on top. He said he thought it was the thing underneath that had, all those teeth. They tore the F out of the parking lot and away my friend said he noticed his co-worker had, for some reason, elected to try to drive to the main highway. Luckily, they ran across the park ranger responding to another call, but by the time they had stopped, no one had been behind them. They related their incident, and the ranger said he was responding to weird vandalizing and sightings of something along the lines of what the two of them had. A man, moving strangely and chasing people through the woods. Also, strange scratches on cabin doors and tears in tents. That had been the only summer that thing had been a problem. My friend said he just figured it was some asshole getting high, putting on a mask, and messing with people's heads. However, I think it has a bit to do with the next story. This next one has more to do with friend hanging out with husband than the beach, but I hope you'll still enjoy it. After work, 
Our friend would drop by my husband's house, where he was still living with his parents. They would cook something, eat, play video games and watch TV. Basically, just hang out until friend had to go home and my husband to bed. Note, to avoid confusion since there's going to be a lot of ES and HIMS, I will call our friend Jerome and my husband Tyler. Our friend Jerome had been relating his beach mishaps to my husband to be Tyler, and his last story seemed to strike Tyler. Huh. He had said, scratching the back of his head. People around the farm have been seeing someone like that too. Mind you, most of the people who worked at the farm in 2011 were much like the people that inhabited the beach if they weren't owners, they were either stupid, drunk, high, or mentally unstable. Or Hispanic, and they were a superstitious bunch. According to Jerome, Tyler had said a couple of cows had been maimed, and at one point, one of the pens containing heifers had broken out and stampeded. They had been in quite a panic, running with a single mind away from something that, in Tyler's mind, had scared them. Several of the heifers had injuries on their sides, as though they had run up against something sharp. But upon later investigating the barn, nothing was found that could have caused such injuries on so many. Tyler said they had lost quite a few heifers that night some had run into the woods and not returned. One had fallen into a manure pit and drowned, and one was found killed in an inexplicable manner. Her throat had been cut, and her entrails dug out. Her hind legs had been broken, as if something had been trying to prevent her from running away. In the area we live in however, state park officials swear up and down, there's nothing that can kill a human, let alone a cow. Jerome said the Hispanic workers were swearing up and down, they've been seeing something skulking around the back barns, and would refuse to go do chores out there alone. Sometimes even in numbers they wouldn't go, and so lots of problems were caused. They had also been complaining of something scratching on their back doors at night, and tearing holes in screens. One, who quit after relating his experience, said he had heard someone knocking and calling out he had used the term, singing right before he was getting ready to go to work at about 1 in the morning. He went to go see who it had been, and standing at the door had been a, horrible man in a mask, with glowing eyes standing on his tiptoes. He slammed the door shut, freaked out, called the others awake, and they called Tyler's dad to come check it out. Nothing had been there, but it had been a few weeks after the incident with the heifers. I'm happy to say that I've never seen anything like what my husband and friend describe. I work on the farm as well, and visit the beach on occasion, and have never been molested by a man with sickle arms. I actually have to go to work, so I'm going to leave you with what I've written so far. I've got a ton more and our friend said he would be delighted to share his sister's stories as well, as she also works as a lifeguard. When I was a kid my dad, my bro and I would go hiking or camping a lot in the area around Mount St. Helens and Mount Rainier. We made camp one day and eventually noticed a horrible, foul smell coming from who knows where. We assumed it was a dead animal. Also found a kind of lean-to and tarp structure like maybe a survivalist or homeless person would live in. 
Anyways, we left and several weeks later my dad learned that a lady was murdered and buried there and wasn't found until after we had been there. I don't know if my dad contacted authorities, and that's why she was found, or if it was just coincidence. So the smell was this dead lady. I didn't find this out until years later, as I was like 8 when it happened. My sister and I accidentally ended up on a ferry road when walking on paths in the public park in Scotland. I was 19 at the time and she was 13. We were accompanied by her dog. After about 15 minutes walking we got lost and she used her GPS on her phone to find we were miles away from where we had started. In the path behind us, the sunlight shimmered oddly, but no forms were distinct. I apologized aloud for having used their path, and gave an offering of the cool rocks and leaves I had picked up along the way, and my sister and I walked back the way we came. It took longer, more like 20 minutes, but we returned to the park after having been gone less than an hour. I have never encountered that path again, though I have visited the park many times since. Fairies are flesh and blood entities with the abilities to hide thoroughly and bend space-time. My supernatural experiences occasionally involve fairies for instance, mushroom rings appearing, but it isn't common. Usually, I just get a sense of otherness that could be fairies, but could be other entities. I am rather old now and have been engaged with fairy beings as long as I can remember, generally in a positive, admiring and respectful manner which has always been returned. They have been helpful, and I am grateful. My earliest memories of fairy beings are when I was still in my crib and several of the light-hearted sort used to line up along the walls, shine rather like little yellow birthday candles, and sit swinging their feet and watching me curiously. They were neither young nor old, neither adults nor children. I somehow knew without being told not to talk about them. It seemed to me that older and busier people could have seen them if they liked but chose to ignore them, particularly if they were the sort of hurried people who enjoyed creating drama and conflict. Our elderly Boston Bull Terrier had more sense and got on well with them. In fact, there were several elf-like beings, floor dwellers, who used to sneak tidbits to him and stroke his ears. We were fortunate enough to have brownie helpers. My father told me stories about them, while being careful not to cause offense by addressing them directly. I tried to learn by example. Although encouraged in my beliefs by my father and his family who were from Renfrewshire in Scotland, I had my troubles because of the fairy beings too. My allowance was taken away when it was discovered, I was leaving the coins for the fairies. I had several, invisible playmates. And whenever my mother heard more than one voice in the playroom she used to come and stare at me with disapproval and end the game. And I was very frightened at first by the bean shias who came to me when my family died. I do not know why, but I didn't need to be told what they were or what was happening. To my ears, their wailing sounded like the 118 howling of dogs or on several occasions, the calls of a hawk and I quickly lost my fear. They still come to me now. Not something I saw, 
but rather, something I heard. This past summer, my girlfriend, and I through hiked the Colorado Trail. One morning, we're breaking down our camp, and the sun had just come up so it was still pretty early in the morning, maybe around 6-6.30 am. We were camped in this long straight valley in the Lost Creek Wilderness, for any fellow CT through hikers. As we're packing up and getting ready to start hiking again, we can hear this crazy screaming sound, over and over again for maybe a couple minutes. It sounded pretty far off, but was echoing through the valley. We both sat there and listened to it, trying to figure out what it was. I have spent a lot of time in the Colorado mountains, and have never heard this sound before. At first, we thought it may have been a person, but we were at a fairly remote section of the trail. Once we finished, we did some research, and we think it may have been a mountain lion, as they sometimes will make a similar screaming noise, but who knows. We were both a little nervous to start hiking again after that. When I was a little girl growing up in West Auburn, Maine we had a horse farm and 60 acres of woods behind our four pastures. We lived in the country. I was born in 1959, and in my younger years I was visited often, but by what I thought was a nightmare, a gorilla in my window. I started screaming, I was so scared. My bedroom was on the second story, and its face took up the whole window. For many years I thought I was dreaming. I had that dream a lot. My mother would find me standing in front of the window screaming. I'd think I had a nightmare until in recent years when I read that Sasquatch looking through people's windows. It was then I realized that I was not dreaming. They had approached me in my younger years. I spent a lot of time in our woods riding my horse, cross-country skiing, taking long walks, and digging for old bottles. We had two ponds and a flowing stream about 20 feet or so wide that separated our property from the local ski area. There, there were a lot of eerie silences at times. I remember noticing that it was so quiet like time stood still. In 1979 I had some friends who lived at Sebago Lake, Maine. They lived in a cabin in the middle of the woods on a long hilly road only traveled by its residents. So you go up and down and not expect to see any other cars. I was driving up there one night, it was curvy, and I was coming around the last bend in the road, and there on the side of the road was an at least 8 to 10 foot tall Sasquatch. It was massive. It had to be 4 feet across shoulder to shoulder. It was a brownish blonde color, with heavy brow and high cheekbones. The skin was dark, sort of bearded, and kind of like he had bang fur and a big head. He looked both ape and human-like in that he was on two legs. The fur looked thick and I guess about three to four inches long all over the body. He just stood there motionless looking at me. I was pretty freaked out when my headlights were on him. We made eye contact. He was not ten feet from me. I just sped up and flew into my friend's driveway and ran and sang I just saw a huge Bigfoot. In hindsight, nobody went looking. Nobody in my world talked about Bigfoot back then. In the summer on August 25, 2019, we randomly stopped on the side of the highway to use nature's facilities in New Hampshire along I-95, 
and there was an opening about 15 feet wide to enter the woods. I went in first, and was shocked to see what I realized must be a roadkill dump spot, because there were vinyl gloves present. But also that appeared to be Bigfoot structures there to take advantage of this Buffett-style dining. I ran back and grabbed my phone. I zoomed into the structures hoping to see it better. It was about 20 feet away from my spot so the clarity is not good. But we appeared to have had company. Definitely not unexplainable but sent chills down my spine just the same. For context, I'm 25 and female with a long history of doing stuff out in nature, all by my lonesome sorry, mom and dad. Last year I quit my job as a cheesemaker, and hopped on a train for a position as a line cook at a little rundown family-owned Greasy Spoon on the res right outside Glacier National Park in Montana. They had a little trailer park out back for the staff, and I got to live in a one-room cabin the manager's granddad built back in the day. The park itself was just a 15-minute walk from my cabin, and I often went hiking on the Red Eagle Lake Trail, since it was the one trail I didn't need to wait around for a shuttle to access, and it tended to get less traffic than the others. I'd gone out there hoping to do lots of backcountry camping, but the cafe worked us like dogs six days a week usually so I only made it out twice on a couple solos. Now, at Red Eagle Lake, there are two campsites, the upper and lower. The first time I camped I stayed at the lower campsite, which is usually more busy. The second and last time, right before I returned home, I stayed at the smaller upper campsite. When I got there I hung up my bear hang, set up my tent, and spent some time poking around the lake and watching deer till it got dark. Around 2 am I woke up to snuffling noises and loud, hollow footsteps right outside my tent door. Being half asleep and a dumbass, I completely unzipped my door. I meant to unzip the window, but the whole door opened, and I found myself looking up at a huge ass bull moose the size of a SUV. He had been just munching on huckleberry shrubs. He froze when he heard my door unzip, they don't see very well, hesitated a moment, and then shot off into the hills faster than I could ever imagine something that big moving. Scared the shit out of me, I kept hearing other moose around me throughout the night, and actually it was kind of comforting. No spooky mountain lions or paranormal spooks could possibly be around, if there were moose, right? The next morning I packed up, and was humping my shit out past the lower campground. It had been empty when I passed it the day before, but now I noticed there was a group of a half dozen guys there. Now, I met lots of dudes on the trail and 99 person of them are perfectly friendly really chill and harmless. But as I walked through this campground every head snapped up and clocked me as I passed through, and I felt panic alarms go off in my gut. They all stood totally still and didn't say a word. I had to walk right past one of these guys at the bear hang, and he just leered at me creepily and said, hey. I was wearing big, black sunglasses, and in my best lady bro voice shot back, Iowasha and then tried not to poop myself as I marched up the trail till they couldn't see me. I've spent a lot of time in the woods alone, and have often been grateful that I'm a taller, sort of stocky, 
and kind of androgynous lady. I've also spent a lot of time wandering Seattle late at night and early in the morning. That by far was the most in danger I've ever felt. Don't want to feel that way ever again. I live in the northwest part of New Mexico, and during the summer of 1992, I heard the weirdest story ever. My grandmother, being Navajo, lives about an hour south of where I live. It's a quiet and isolated part of the Navajo reservation. There's no running water, no electricity, no utilities whatsoever. I used to travel there on weekends to check up on my grandmother and my mother. One summer weekend, we took my grandmother over to her older sister's house to check on her, haul water, and bring her some much-needed supplies. My grandma's sister is the oldest and lives alone in a two-room house. The entry of the house is used as a living room and a kitchen. The bedroom is another room separated by a wall adjacent to the kitchen. She is very old-fashioned and has no electronics and is isolated from the rest of the world. She does not speak English and only speaks Navajo. Her only advanced technology is an old AM radio and a D-cell flashlight. When we arrived, she told us the strangest story. She said that one night she woke up and her room was totally lit up. She said it was like the sun came up and she thought she overslept. The lady is awake before the sun is up and she usually does her morning prayers before the sun is up. So she was somewhat distressed that she had slept in that long. She said that she sat up in her bed and started to walk into her kitchen. Then all of a sudden it went dark. It gets dark on the reservation, so dark that most times you can't even see your hand in front of your face. She was startled and went back to bed. A few nights later, she was awakened by the dishes in her kitchen banging together. She said that her room was lit up again just like before. She said the sun came up, and she got up to investigate what was making the noise. As she walked towards the doorway, she heard a little child run across the doorway. She was surprised, and when she got to the doorway, she saw the little children run and hide from her. She got upset and grabbed her broom. When she grabbed her broom, it darkened again. Everything was quiet and dark. No little children in sight. She was upset and wanted to know what was going on. She asked us if we had any information on what was going on and why in her house. She thought it was skinwalkers using their witchcraft on her, but she couldn't explain what was going on. In the back of my mind, I was thinking she was being visited by aliens. She's never talked like this before, and how can she accurately de- Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. 
Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Describe an alien gray. She said that they were very small gray and had a large head. She's had no interaction with the outside world, nor does she have any idea what an alien is. A week went by, and we were concerned for her, and went back for the following weekend. She said that the little children visited her again. This time, she said, she just covered her head with a blanket, and lay quietly in bed. She said that they were in her room digging around. When they were by her bed, she coughed and they left the room and continued to dig around in the kitchen. They dug around, and then they left. I don't know why they were visiting her, and what they were looking for. After mentioning these incidents to the rest of the family, it was decided to take her to a senior care home. She never talked about her visitors again. There are numerous sightings on the reservation. I've also seen strange lights. I wonder what these little children were. This is pretty mild, but it gave me chills when it happened. So I like to explore and fish a lot. They coincide a lot anyway, so it's a pretty big passion of mine. I was hiking along a creek in a rural county near my home, in some dense game lands about 8 or so miles from any house, probably at least double that from a major road or settlement. I had hiked for a while, and was seeing hardly any sign of human presence. Nearly every place I go in my state I can find garbage, hunting trash, or any other sign that people have been there. If I see nothing, it is sort of a good sign that the area is undisturbed. As I was hiking I heard gunshots far away, not uncommon either but the forest was weirdly quiet, and yes, cliché incoming, I felt super uneasy, as if there was another someone there. Eventually I found something really strange and I've looked for the picture forever, but can't find it. It was a small metal box, and I was well versed enough to know it was a geocache, out in the open at the base of a tree. Let me remind you, this is several miles through thick woods, and no sign of human habitation or influence. The box was rusty, and looked to have been through a lot. I tried opening it, but a lot of sediment and rust had accumulated, and I got a little give but nothing significant. There was definitely stuff rattling around, so I tried a ton, but nothing would work. I realized that this story is probably boring, and there was probably nothing even in it, but it seemed very strange to find this so far out I knew I had to get it open somehow. I left it as I found it, and put a piece of duct tape on the tree next to it to find it again. I left and went home. I downloaded the geocaching app, but the box wasn't registered anywhere, nor were there really any geocaches along that creek at all, none registered for miles. So either it wasn't a geocache, or maybe just really old. Anyways, the very next day I went back, armed with a crowbar, hammer and pliers. I went back to the exact spot it was, and I knew it was the right spot. The duct tape was balled up on the ground beside the tree, and the box was nowhere to be found. I looked all around and couldn't find it, 
at which point, several miles from civilization and several more from cell service, I booked it out of there. I realized this isn't that creepy spooky supernatural etc. But this put me on the edge more than anything else I've ever been through. This incident occurred in Texas in the early 2000s. I'm not saying I saw the tooth fairy, but it was the night that I lost my first tooth. I wrote a letter to the tooth fairy and left it on my nightstand and had a glass of water by my bed. I was five years old at the time. I woke up in the middle of the night because I heard the glass of water hit the floor. I opened my eyes and I saw a very small light moving slowly across the room probably five feet up in the air. It was golden in color and small. It just looked like a dot of light to me, but I also had terrible vision and didn't have my glasses on. As it neared the doorway to my room, a new doorway opened on the wall to the side of the door, right over the place where a picture of my great-grandmother's embroidery hung. It was like a black rectangle void, but it had red velvet curtains. The light moved slowly toward it, and that's when I noticed the shadows. Silhouettes of animals danced all over my room. Following the light in a line, there was a bear, a big cat of some kind. I know there were other shadows, but I can't remember which animals. I looked and my tooth was still on my nightstand, but when I turned my head again, there was a shadow creeping at the end of my bed. It had fins like a shark or a dolphin, but it had two of them. At this point, the light was almost through the doorway, and it seemed like the portal door was closing, but the thing at the end of my bed was getting bigger in size. Being five years old, I did the reasonable thing and hid under the covers, where I fell asleep. The next morning, there was money on the nightstand and a note from the tooth fairy, obviously in my mother's handwriting but the water glass that had woken me had rolled under my nightstand, still on the floor. If it wasn't for the water glass on the floor, I would have thought the whole thing was a dream. The fairy didn't seem interested in me at all, only the shadow at the end of my bed. A small speck of golden light. Why a fairy? Mainly because it happened on the night I lost my first tooth, but the fairy didn't take the tooth. I always thought it was just paying me a visit. I felt calm when I looked at the light, but the shadows scared me. This experience left me obsessed with fairies through the rest of my childhood, but I never had an experience like that afterward. I've read a lot of lore and mythology about fairies, in my opinion they are magical beings that can't be seen, unless they want to. The animal shadows I saw that night haunt my dreams to this day. I don't know if the shadows were fairies, or just hanging with a little gold fairy, but I only got the sense that the one at the end of my bed was evil, not the bear or the big cat. I thought the bear was funny. He was walking on his hind legs and waving his arms like he was dancing. The one at the end of my bed seemed cold and dark. I've told this story before but didn't really get an explanation. My husband and I were hiking in Jasper Park, Canada. We were talking and passing other hikers every 15-20 minutes or so. We got to a part of the trail that reaches the peak, 
and then slowly starts to move down the side of a foothill, and the trail is on the side of a slope. We hadn't seen anyone in maybe 30 minutes. All of a sudden the entire earth started to shake, and there was a thunderous noise. We both squat down together and looked frantically around, trying to find the source of the noise, but we saw nothing and heard nothing like branches breaking. I thought for sure it was an elk or something, but if there was an animal, it would have been on the trail either ahead of us or behind us. We started to make loud noises, and I started cracking two rocks together. We kept doing this until we saw another couple hikers about 15 minutes later. We asked if they heard or felt anything, and they said no, so we warned them that there may be an animal on the trail ahead. It would be nice to know what it was. When I was younger probably in the 6th grade, I was at one of my dad's, fishing camps. This one happened to be a 1987 Dodge Sportsman, rotting in some old logging camp about 2 hours north of where I live. I always hated going because my dad always day drank there, and had a general lack of regard for safety departing in a 14-foot aluminum fishing boat with a 20-year-old 8-horsepower motor, while you're hammered with your kid and his friend for example. One time when we were there, I can distinctly remember bright, consistent flashes about every three seconds that lit up half the sky on the horizon. I still don't know what it is. I've seen something similar whilst tenting at a local campground. It was so dim that it was hardly noticeable, when I saw it up at the fishing camp, it was almost as bright as lightning. At the local campground I assumed it was maybe a lighthouse or something, because the campground wasn't too far inland from Lake Superior, however the fishing camp is nearly a two-hour drive north. I'm going to guess that it had something to do with the nearby Lac des Ilez mine, however now that I'm thinking about it, I think I remember the flashes coming from the east. The mine is to the south. I haven't been there in probably three years, and it's been half a dozen since that took place. So that's about all I can remember. I'm going to go look on Google Earth later to see if there's anything east of the camp, or just look for a plausible source of the illumination. Not really unexplainable, but the most scared I've been in the woods. I was riding my bike home from my girlfriend's house, and had to cross through a river area that had just flooded. There were so many glowing things in my bike lights. Ghostly looking branches, metal debris, beady animal eyes. It was in the spring, and a lot of animals were moving around. Every noise was loud, and I had more prickles up my spine than any other time I'd ridden there, or in the dark. Super creepy seeing trees on the ground covered in dried clay, looking like huge bones. It felt so strange to be within half a mile of civilization, yet feeling so trapped in the woods. I was doing a quote geologist in the park, through the National Park Service at Yellowstone back in the early 80s, it was a summer gig. First thing I do when I take a group around the mud pots, geysers or any sort of thermal area, it tell them, in no uncertain terms to a. Stay on the boardwalks. b. 
Don't put anything into the thermal features. Don't throw trash, coins or put your hands, feet, etc. into geothermal features. 3. Stay on the boardwalks. 4. Take only pictures. 5. Stay behind any barricade. 6. Leave only footprints. On the boardwalks. Stay on the boardwalks. Although I really didn't have any sort of official powers or legal standing beyond that of your average blue passport holder, I was large biker beard, corn-fed cheesehead large, loud and seriously into geology and preservation of a geologically unique area. Multitudinous times I had to warn people to stay on the boardwalk, don't throw shit into the thermal features, and the rest of the litany, and for the most part, people would conform, adding the usual amount of grumbling and grousing. Until I took an all-French group around on blistering July afternoon. I spoke no French, but most of the tourists spoke some English, and there was one who volunteered to be my paravachic de jury. I began with the official line of don'ts, and these were all loudly translated to French for the whole group to hear. I even called out a few that were chatting among themselves to, listen up. This is for your benefit, ya diggin' me Beaumont, and reviewed the list again. Y'all get that? Any questions? Any at all? Nods and mumbles of agreement, about what I receive from any group, so off we go on the latest tour of geothermal wonders and geological splendor. About halfway through, there are always stragglers. So I halt the tour to wait for the dawdlers to catch up with the tour. Behind my back, I hear a commotion and see one of the berets sporting no beards off the boardwalk, what did I say? Wandering closer to the glory pool to get a better picture or some such horseshit. I get the translator and ask him to scream at that idiot to get back here. While three or four others decide it would be best to just go and get him and no, he was not deaf or hearing impaired. General panic in Detroit moments until they all finally scarper back onto the boardwalk, only to have one tourist tap me on the shoulder, and ask if that person over there in the opposite direction should be out there. There was yet another of the group stalking a deer that wandered in wondering what all the commotion was. Evidently, since he was headed away from the thermal feature, he would be just safe as houses going off to photo the deer. He wasn't. The grounds around any thermal area are treacherous as f. The water table shifts on a daily basis due to the differential thermal flux all Yellowstone caldera controls. So what may support you yesterday may be mere millimeters thick today. He broke through the crust and into superheated geothermally heated water and mud, nature's napalm, up to about chest depth. I immediately called for rescue services via radio, told the French crowd to not move and stay put, or be arrested. And I cautiously worked my way over towards him, we've been trained for this sort of stuff, and hoped like hell it never happened to try and drag him out. Touch and go. But belly crawling, swearing a blue streak and luck of the Irish prevailed. I got his arm and slowly dragged him screaming like a gaffed calf out onto less vicious terrain. He lived. Although with massive third-degree burns, a hefty fine and his banning from us national parks for life.
A well-known researcher mentioned in an older interview the tale of a child who had gotten separated from her parents in Yosemite National Park. When she was found, her story differed greatly from all others. She told her parents a dogman had found her, had laid with her to rest, had given her berries from his paw, and then led her back to her family. This was the first time I heard anything suggesting werewolf-type cryptids in the wild, and since then I just stumble on more and more. This brings to mind an incident between my little sister and me, she was 16 at the time, myself 24. We were on the fairly placid highway through Valley of the Fires outside Carrizozo, New Mexico bound for Ruidoso, New Mexico in 2011. As we rounded one corner, we both looked left in time to see a gray or salt and pepper fur covered very tall, very muscular man, with the characteristic dog legs same bends. We screamed and I swerved. We thought instantly that we had seen a goat man, yet there were no horns. Some goats don't have horns so we didn't seem swayed by that detail. He was wearing some clothing in fact, the most notable being baggy denim shorts. I know that sounds ridiculous, believe me. She and I were dumbfounded as to how or why something so wild looking could be wearing clothes. It was late afternoon around 4 pm, and he didn't hurry when we came into view. He sauntered on normally as though he didn't care if he were spotted. He didn't even look at our car despite my erratic driving when we noticed him. I drive by that spot regularly on commutes for the doctor between Albuquerque, New Mexico, and Ruidoso, and though I've never seen him again, there is a small bluff right there with beautiful rocks in a tall stack, that it would have taken three or more human males to lift and stack the way they're situated. I always see it and figure it had to be Mr. Wolfman who did it. Goatman simply makes no sense anymore. New Mexico is infamous for its goat man stories, though so we assumed based on an idea planted by local history. I'm a 43-year-old woman, and have been abducted three times that I can at least remember. It started when I was 12 years old. I was in my bedroom stargazing out of my window in Arlington. Texas at around 11.15 p.m. on November 22, 1992. I saw a light moving in the night sky that moved slowly south. It was not blinking, and was like a hazy ball of white light. It would stop and go frequently and move in one direction, then disappear and reappear going in another direction. I noticed it getting brighter as if it were getting closer to me. All of a sudden it stops and a beam of light comes straight at me. I fall back off of the table I was sitting on, and I can't see anything but white. My eyes were blurred and couldn't see anything but light. I got cold and felt like I was floating. Then I am all of a sudden in the presence of three beings, and I'm lying on a metallic table. The beings were short and skinny with long arms. Their heads were elongated, and their bodies were like a pale human with tinted skin of grey, and had a texture of scales on their body and wrinkles on their face, especially near their eyes. Their eyes were slanted and large black shiny eyes. When they blinked, their eyelids were transparent like a reptile, almost clear. They had a small mouth and almost like a frown. 
I felt as if I was in a trance state. I could move, but was too scared to. So I lay there and looked down at the straps holding my arms and legs. It looked like a type of flexible metal, but soft. They poked me with a needle that came down from the ceiling and a monitor was floating around me, and I could see myself on the monitor. Like a floating TV going all around my body. I began to scream and the one being, who I believe was older and possibly male and gender, looked at me and spoke to me through my mind in a robotic-like human voice, and told me I had nothing to worry about. All of a sudden I looked at him and thought what do you want? He responded we are here to help you. We are of many, and we are one of the same. I asked, what do you mean we are the same? He looked at the other two beings, and then the other smaller being said in a female robotic-like voice, we protect your race from others who want to harm you. I kept asking questions, and they began to ignore me. They put a film of clear soft silk-like material over my face, and I don't remember anything after that. I woke up in my bedroom on the floor and wobbled my way to the window, and they were gone. I looked at my clock, and it was 11.34 pm. It had only been 20 minutes or so, but it felt like hours had gone by. Throughout the years I have had multiple abductions, and it's just not something you go telling people without getting a weird look. Back in 2012, I began a blog online and explained many of my experiences. My computer would constantly crash, and even catch fire during a live chat with another person, while chatting about our experiences online. It began to make me nervous to go online researching things like this. I feel as if I'm being watched by our government. Through many of my abductions, I have learned that the government is working hand in hand with them, and it is bigger than I realize. Something is going on which I believe is a new form of genetic transformation of the human species. I thought it was a prank at first, just a belated April Fool's joke from one of my buddies. I never thought for a second that it could have spiraled into the horrifying mess I found myself in. The thick stone ceiling above me has made calling the cops impossible, but I think I have just enough signal to get this out to the internet, my note in a bottle if you will. There are no clocks here, but as far as I can tell, this all started a few hours ago. I sat hunched over my computer desk, squinting at the harsh blue light of my monitor. I was going through my nightly ritual of scanning through Craigslist for any good deals. I was moments away from powering the computer down and giving my tired brain a break when I saw it. The image was so surreal, it took me a moment to figure out what I was looking at. There, Nestled between a vintage typewriter and a dusty old sofa, was a picture of me. The title was my full name, and the price was listed at $1.500. I mentally went through all of my friends and family, trying to figure out who would do something like this, but came up empty-handed. I saw there were more pictures and went to scroll through them, but hesitated, I was afraid that I'd be met with fuzzy Polaroids of me taken from behind bushes and through windows. However, as I scrolled through the images, I realized I recognized each one. I'd taken them. 
They were all from my Facebook feed. A selfie I'd taken with some friends at a bar. A picture of me at the beach with my girlfriend. I felt my heart rate begin to quicken. My Facebook was set to private, and I never friended anyone I didn't know. How had these pictures gotten onto the internet? I clicked the listing and began anxiously reading the description. Product is a 26-year-old Caucasian male. It is 237 pounds and 5 foot 8. It consumes approximately 2, 200 calories per day. I raised an eyebrow at that last line. What would anyone want with that information? It went on to describe everything I'd eaten for the past two weeks in meticulous detail. Everything from the McGriddle I'd had on my way to work, to the Snickers I'd munched on today after dinner. They even knew about my ad medication. I nervously glanced around my house, suddenly feeling naked and vulnerable. Where were they getting this information? How long had they been keeping tabs on me? Just when I thought it couldn't get any worse, I saw a short message at the end of the post that made my skin crawl. Product is unathletic, and should be easily collected by two three people. Bringing weapons are suggested, but not needed. Collected. Any hope of this being a joke was beginning to evaporate. How many people had seen the listing by now? What kinds of people go searching for a listing like this at all? Then I had a thought that made me bring a hand to my mouth. Did this page have my address listed? It seemed terrifyingly possible. The listing had seemingly every other detail about me, why not that? My eyes scanned the web page until I found a message that explained everything. Address for $1.500. Email me if interested. It made a sick sort of sense. They'd found a way to monetize their stalking. Why let such great talent go to waste, right? I wondered how many other people he'd done this to. How many home invasions and robberies and abductions he'd helped facilitate just for a few thousand bucks. I immediately flagged the post, hoping to have it taken down. However, I quickly realized it would take hours, maybe even days for the moderators at Craigslist to get to it. I didn't have that time to spare. My fingers flew across the keyboard, searching Google for some way to get a hold of the people at Craigslist, but in the end, all I could find was a generic contact form. Getting desperate, I opened my email to try one last gambit. I plugged in the seller's address, a random string of numbers and letters, and typed out a desperate plea to take down the listing, offering five times the original price. Waiting for a response was torture. I passed the time by running around my house, locking all of the doors and windows. I also turned out all of the lights to make it look like no one was home. I knew realistically, the odds of some psycho seeing the post was slim. But the internet was a big place, and I didn't want to take any chances. I was so on edge that by the time I heard the ding of the email notification, my heart practically jumped out of my chest. I regret to inform you that the information has already been purchased. I buried my head in my hands. I had been too late. How long ago had it been bought? 10 minutes ago, an hour, a day. My line of thought was broken when the crackle of wheels on gravel brought my attention to the window.
I pulled the curtains aside and peered out into the night, careful to reveal as little of myself as possible. A black SUV was pulling into my driveway, its occupants hidden behind a dark window. I told myself everything was fine, that they were just doing a three-point turn, and would be gone any minute. However, instead of driving away, the doors popped open in unison. Two figures emerged from the car, dressed head to toe in black. I wanted to turn and run but fear had paralyzed me. I watched helplessly as the men marched up to the front door and knocked loudly. I realized then that their plan must have been to wait for me to answer the door and drag me into their car. But I knew better. I began calling 911, cursing myself for not doing it sooner. The door was heavy oak, and would take them at least a minute or two to kick down. That's when I heard it. There was a strange beeping sound coming from the other side of the door. After racking my brain for a few moments, I figured out what it was. It was the beeping of my door's keypad. They couldn't possibly know the code, could they? Then it dawned on me. The creep who'd posted the listing knew everything about me. Of course, they knew the passcode. My blood ran cold and I dashed away from the door, looking for a place to hide. Click. The door unlocked. I ducked behind a corner into the kitchen, just as it began to slowly creak open. The back door was at the other side of the kitchen, and I began creeping toward it, grateful I'd turned the lights out earlier. The two men cautiously stepped into the living room, talking in hushed voices about where I might be. I had almost made it to the back door when I bumped into the kitchen table. I cursed myself for not seeing it. Their whispers immediately stopped, and they began marching toward me, forcing me to improvise a hiding place. I slipped into my kitchen's pantry and shut the door just as the light clicked on. The men, apparently no longer concerned with stealth, began stomping around the kitchen, looking for me. I squeezed my eyes shut and prayed they didn't look inside, knowing I'd be completely helpless if they did. I bit down on my knuckles and time seemed to stretch out forever. But they eventually left, going deeper into the house to search for me. I let out a sigh of relief. Buzz. My phone was ringing in my pocket. I took it out, and it was my girlfriend, Lexi. My eyes widened. Lexi. She'd be home any minute. What if the men decided to take her instead? I answered the call. Hey you, she said. Lexi, don't come to the house, it's not safe. Oh my god, where are you, she asked, fear creeping into her voice. I'm hiding in the pantry, I think I'm safe for now but... The line went dead. I felt my heart sink. Had they gotten to her already? Had I not warned her in time, then I heard something strange vibrating noise in the room over. One of the men's phone was ringing. He answered it, and listened a moment. His voice was raspy and muffled. He's where? Another pause. Then footsteps, thundering straight toward me. My mind raced momentarily, and then it hit me. The one who had posted the listing hadn't been stalking me. They had been living with me. Lexi was the one who'd posted it. And she just told them exactly where I was. 
I burst out of the pantry and made a break for the door, just as the two men rounded the corner behind me. I wanted to look back, but fought the urge. If I looked back I'd get nervous, and if I got nervous I'd stumble, and if I stumbled they'd drag me into their car, and do God knows what. I flung open the back door and ran into the cool damp air. However, before I could make a break for it, one of them caught me by the hood, snapping my neck back. The fabric tightened around my throat like a snake, making it hard to breathe. I blindly threw an elbow behind me, and it connected with his ribs. The man cried out in pain, and I felt his grip loosened by just a fraction. A fraction was all I needed. I tucked in my chin, drew in my arms, and wriggled out of the hoodie, falling to the wet earth on hands and knees. I made a mad dash for the tree line. As I ran I heard angry shouts from behind me. Just shoot. The damn thing is jammed. Oh give me that. A loud pop rang out in the night, and something whizzed past my ear. I wondered what they'd shot at me. The sound was too quiet to be a gun. A quick glance behind me revealed one of the men was holding what looked like a small, lightweight sniper rifle. It was green with a strange white chamber at the bottom. What the hell is that thing? The man shoved something inside, clicked it back, and took aim. Pop. Fear shot through me like a bolt of electricity. I jerked my body out of the way just in time for something to fly past me and bury itself in a nearby tree. It was a dart. They were shooting at me with a tranquilizer gun, like I was a wild animal. The tree line was about 40 feet away now. My lungs felt like they were full of bees, but I kept running anyway, knowing if I slowed even a fraction they'd catch me. I did my best to avoid the darts, diving out of the way whenever I heard one of those sickening pops, but eventually, my luck ran out. Just as I reached the tree line, ready to disappear behind the dense foliage, I felt a red-hot sting in my back. Exhaustion began flooding my body, making my movements slow and sluggish. The world spun around me and soon, I found myself on the forest floor. My memories of what happened next are jagged and frayed. The click of a truck, the jangle of chains. When I finally came to my senses I found myself on a damp, concrete floor, bathed in darkness, shivering from the biting cold. The only noise breaking the eerie silence were the heavy thuds of footsteps over my head. They left me my phone, maybe to keep me from going crazy, maybe to taunt me. To ensure I can't ask for help, they've somehow blocked all posting or messaging features. At least, almost all of them. Nosleep is the only place that I can post. At first, I thought they'd made a mistake. I thought maybe this subreddit had just slipped past them. But now I'm starting to realize it's because they think no one will believe me. But that can't be true. At least one of you has to believe me, right?